0: Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well instead of simply spent? How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. This week, I am joined by Dr. Susan Arscht. Susan is a professor of management at the Bill and Vive Gore School of Business at Westminster College and previously served as the executive director of the Center for Innovative Cultures. Susan received her Ph.D. in intercultural communication from the University of New Mexico, Her dissertation focused on quality connections, positive relationships, and positive organizational climate. In the spirit of the Halloween season, we will be talking about fear. Of course, I don't mean zombies or ghosts, but instead, the fear we encounter at work and in our personal lives. Fear of change or taking that next step. Susan shares with us her strategies for conquering our fears and stepping out of our comfort zones. Let's jump in.
1: All right, so if you remove any reference to work, school, sports, volunteerism, church activity, all of those things that we think of when we talk about success often, um, take all of those out of your head. What is your greatest accomplishment or what is it that you're most proud of about yourself as a human being? This may
2: be a sideways answer, I'm not sure, but what it reminded me of is An offhand comment I made to a colleague years ago, which was, I'm my best self when I'm on the road. Hmm. And I think what that speaks to is that when things are different, when there is an environment that's new, when I'm going to another country, which I had the opportunity and the great luck to be in in a role in work and also by choice privately to travel to many places when things get a little crazy that's when my best self comes out hmm. and when things get um uh, and when it, again um knew the first time I do something in some ways I think I do it the best and I don't speak on my feet but I act on my feet that's Uh, interesting I think is is what I would
1: say what we had talked about in terms of an overarching discussion subject today is fear
2: I think for some of us fear is a motivator ooh let's talk about that and I, I certainly believe that's true for me uh I also made the maybe I talked too much because I made the uh <laughs> I made a an, again an offhand comment uh to my son some years ago when I was talking about going overseas on just a a personal trip and I said I'm a little nervous about going on this trip you know I'm putting it together for our family etc but I said, you know, so that's when I know when I'm afraid to go on a trip, something I love to do, that's when it's time to go. And there have been (laughs) several times since then when he has brought that up. (laughs) When I said, oh, I'm nervous or oh, I'm afraid or oh, this makes me uncomfortable. Well then, mom, it's time to do it. (laughs) So I think that the idea of Fear keeping you in one spot and not moving forward or not addressing. You don't even have to address it sometimes. Yeah. You can, sometimes it's go around it and get there. Now, of course, we're not talking about the kind of fear, like I'm trapped in a corner. Right. Um, by somebody that I don't know or, you know, just the the absolutely terrible negative fear that is... Um,
1: where fight or flight really is important.
2: Right, exactly. There's a fire. There's, a, you know, you're, yeah. you're being chased by somebody. That's not the kind of fear that that, that I'm talking about. Right. Yours is more
1: like existential.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like the, the the fear that you know if you moved forward, something new would happen, but you're afraid to do it. That's the kind of fear. And something new might not be good not not life threatening not good yeah. but it might not be it, it might you might find out you don't like what you're getting into i think learning what we don't like to do or what we're not good at mm. is actually just as helpful yeah. as what we like to do and what we're good at and the only way is to try is to try it yeah and so so that that's what that's the kind of fear and and i think there are strategies i, so, I don't know
1: are there people that don't ever fear um, I don't know. I yeah. That would be I would be surprised if that's the case. I mean maybe they don't tell us, but wouldn't I would be surprised if there are people that don't and I might be a little afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: And and is it and is it that the, the is it about realizing what strategies work for you to get beyond that fear or to work through that fear or to recognize where it comes from? But
1: having some strategies uh, that can help. That can help, yeah. So do you have any? Have you learned some over the course of your... I have... Like, and how have you learned them?
2: Well, sometimes they're from other people. Mm. And sometimes I think they're... We don't even realize where they come from. Um, my junior year in college, I went to um, Israel for six months and Egypt for six months. Mm. And out of that experience, I um, I kind of developed hot feet, and that's how my much of my career has had some aspect related to going to new places. Wow! And I think that earlier that would do things with my family that were different, whether it was hiking or skiing or things where you were out in nature and it was something different and new and. Um, you know, you fall, you fall deep into the snow and that's pretty scary and that could be in your own backyard and how do you get out of it? Well, you figure it out and then before you know it, you're jumping backwards into the snow and it's, it's all over you because you like,
1: oh, okay. I know, I know, I I know a way, I know a strategy. That's really interesting. So like one of the strategies you're talking about is in some ways like exercising your fear muscle. Like, uh, yes, like, in a, like in small ways, right, in small ways
2: and 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 so that so that it's not so so that it's not so new. Um, I think that uh, I, I think one of the things that's helped me along with this is is uh, naivete <laughs> is just sometimes jumping in without mm-hmm. thinking too much. Not knowing that you should be afraid of this. Exactly. I I would say more recently, you know, that was certainly in that year that I was away. There were things that, that, um, you know, that afterwards I thought, wow, maybe I should have been afraid to do that hike. I wasn't really prepared. Or maybe I should have been afraid to take a taxi across the desert from Cairo to Jerusalem. (laughs) Um, You know, that, was that, was that, but I, but in the moment, it was perfectly fine, and I would still say today, at that place and time, it was perfectly fine. I think more recently, um, going to graduate school. Oh, I bet. And uh, when to get my PhD was something that... Um, was scary. It was scary. It was very scary. I would tell you that for the first two years of a four-year program... The first four semesters, uh, every time I went into class, I wanted to vomit. Wow. Because I was so nervous. Wow. And I can still, as I say it, I still feel it. <laughs> because everything was so new. Everything was so, uh, the, just even the vocabulary
0: Mm-hmm. I had
2: never done anything in a social science before, and and so the jargon the, that everyone else seemed to know the yeah when it falls off of their lips and you're thinking what right exactly <laughs> and I have to be able to say it in that same way I have to understand that so so it clicked it's a little bit like learning a foreign language eventually it clicked and one day I realized hey. I'm very comfortable. I can and, do this, and I can yes, and I can do this. But I think had I known that it was going to be that hard for that long, I might not have hmm. gone in the program. And once I started, and it, then then I just put my head down is because that how I'm you also got stubborn. It? I think being stubborn <laughs> is a way of handling a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> is, I will not fail.
2: <laughs> well. My, my mantra was, I'm going to be 52 whether I have a PhD or not. Yeah. So I think in general for me, giving myself deadlines, false or not false, I wouldn't do anything without deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that was my mantra. I will be 52 no matter what.
1: Why don't I be 52 having completed this? And. And uh, well, I, So a personal question is, what made you decide to go back
2: to school? When I got my MBA, I never took anything that was an organizational behavior type of class. And the, the bottom line was that when I was in business, what I realized was we could have everything going in the deal. The pricing, the, um, uh, all of the logistics, everything could be just, just right but if we didn't have the communication mm-hmm. if we didn't have a sense that we trusted each other things mm-hmm. really th- things generally didn't work out so well so i thought all right i'm going to do organizational behavior and i started to take a look at it and i went to a couple of universities and talked to people in the kind of the departments organizational development in management got the applications And they sat on my desk. And I kept going back to organizational communication Hmm. and the communication piece. So finally, uh, I went, and there are all kinds of reasons that are practical reasons to stick with a management degree. But I went to some of the departments in organizational communication, talked to some folks, got a couple of applications. And they were filled out within two weeks.
1: Wow, so then you knew. So I knew.
2: It was, and, uh, and I, that's, that's when I said, and I really, I think, wanted to explore what is the reason or what, what is it about this area that, that draws you? That draws me, and that is, I think, because I wanted to understand better why this is what trips up organizations, whether for profit or non profit, the communication piece or what we refer to as communication, which is so many other things, what what is it about that that is the is the you know, either the positive or the negative?
1: What did you find it what did you find
2: out? Well I found out some of the things that uh, the Center for Innovative Cultures at Westminster where I worked, I found out that some of the things that, that we talk about there, you know, that, um, that make a difference. That hiring for culture is huge. Mm. That the leader in an organization and how the leader approaches the organization is huge. That it doesn't necessarily mean that a culture is bad if an individual isn't a fit, it just means they're not a fit. And so that having people who are good fits for the leader, for the culture, and sometimes when the leadership changes, the culture changes, and it's possible that there are certain people within the organization, it's not a fit anymore.
0: Right.
2: And, and, and And that's okay. That's okay. Because people it's just that people need to recognize that and a lot of people don't a lot of people think something's wrong with the leadership or something's wrong with me and sometimes that's true you know you have leadership that is um unethical that right. you know, where you have or you have different values but a lot of times it's just not a good fit it's not really somebody's at fault right uh, and it's changed Um, I think it's hard for us to express that
1: because it's, I like to blame people. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier than that self-reflection that it takes to really think it through that that we're not, we don't, we don't fit.
2: But, (laughs) but, you know, going back to that, the idea of of what are some strategies for fear? I think, um, humor is huge, Mm. Everybody loves to be around, especially when you're in an uncomfortable, you know, situation where you know you're you're on edge. If you can be around somebody who can bring some humor to it, in a way that isn't deprecating to you, wow, that makes such a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree. Um, So I think humor's one. Um, I found in my last round of interviewing for jobs that it's occurred to me i'm a much better advocate for other people than i am for myself
1: i and feel that
2: i think yeah <laughs> I, th- I think this is way above my pay grade but maybe there's something to do with that with being women and you know yeah yeah, yeah. so in my last round of interviewing i made a point of advocating for myself as if i were somebody else mm. and so i think it really cut into the whole imposter syndrome issue and the fear that I was just putting on an act that I really did I really know my stuff Mm -hmm. and so when I went in there and I was her I was she I was that other person that I was advocating for I was a really strong advocate for her meaning me you know so that makes a lot of sense so it was and some people would like you say you had to take a- yourself away. Yes. And some people would say, oh, that's a cop-out strategy. And I would
1: say, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> use it. <laughs> um, I'm really glad that you brought, brought up imposter syndrome because I think it's one of our... I think it's a universal fear that people have in their professional lives. And I think that it's worth talking about how maybe how ubiquitous it is and some of, our, some of your strategies for dealing with that. Well, I think
2: that it is. Uh, I think it stops people in a way that it's just a term. Imposter syndrome, but there are a lot of words. You know, words are meaningful. There are a lot of words that stop people, mm. and they're different for each of us. And I. Oh, I
0: love that. That's probably that's true.
2: So I'm going to give you an example of one that I have seen both in the classroom and also with people who... I really saw this with somebody who is uh, just about to retire, and he was looking for something. uh, He was looking for what he's going to do next, because retiring in his case doesn't mean not doing anything. He's going to have to do something. So he was trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. so he can smoothly move into the next phase. And the word I'm talking about is passion. Hmm. What I've seen, and I'm not a fan of that word, What, because I've never felt like I had a, I've had a passion for something. I'm curious about things, and that's how I go down roads. Like I was curious about what is it about organizational communication. So curiosity is a better word that fits me. But... I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where a speaker has said, you have to be passionate in order to move forward. Or what's your passion? You must find your passion and then you'll know. Well, I've asked people in my classes, how many of you have a passion? And I would say probably not more than one-fourth, one-sixth, a much not nearly a large percentage of people will raise their hands and say, I have a passion. And I'll always say, you know what? Great. I'm not talking to you now. But if you have a, absolutely pursue your passion, for those of you who don't, stop worrying about it. Hmm. Because I've seen students who won't move forward. Well, I don't know what to apply for in a job because I'm not really passionate about a particular area. Well, okay, maybe you're passionate about feeding yourself. I mean, you know, <laughs> I can assure you your parents are
1: passionate about... <laughs> you feeding yourself. Yes.
2: <laughs> so, so in the case of this person who was retiring, he kind of voiced something very similar. He said, well, you know, I, I'm, I've looked at a couple of different boards to see if I want to get involved in the organizations and maybe become involved on the board, but I'm not sure if I really have a passion. And I said, stop. Don't worry about having a passion. What are you curious about? What would you like to know more about?
1: Hmm.
2: Get involved in those organizations. And sometime later, he said to me, That that was exactly helpful because I moved forward, I'm now involved in this organization and this organization and I'm really passionate about this organization
1: for which I'm going to be the next chair oh. of the board. And But the forward momentum occurred because of curiosity rather than passion. Because he's, he's he stopped getting stuck. Yeah, on, yeah. I can totally that see that.
2: For other people, I've heard other people say that they are so tired of hearing about values. Make sure you're in a in a job where people share your values. I don't have a negative sensibility about that word. but So I think that it's worth us exploring how to encourage people, old people, young people, to think about the, the buzzwords, the vocabulary mm-hmm. that stops them right. and find something else.
0: If this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this, check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com. Welcome back. You're listening to 92,000 Hours, and today I'm speaking with Susan Arscht.
1: I'm interested in talking about fear from an organizational culture perspective. Like is there such a thing as organizational fear? You know, like you know what I mean? Like we talk about it as individuals, I can have my existential, professional, or personal fears, but can organizations have those? And what Oh sure. And what do you think about that? <laughs> I think that there are
2: definite fears. I think also the the whole idea of, you know, of organizational fear for me in academia absolutely comes to the forefront where you have colleges that are liberal arts, small liberal arts colleges all over the country that are is struggling, fun. yeah, and so there's a fear amongst staff, faculty, and that gets uh, communicated to students. Will this college be around? I mean i'm I'm a product of an MBA uh, school that has been folded into a larger hmm. school. So Thunderbird was uh, folded into uh, ASU. Arizona State University, and there was a very large pushback from the alumni, still still, uh, from alumni of Thunderbird, that this was terrible. But all of the other alternatives that the board of Thunderbird came up with before that happened were considered terrible, too. They just wanted it to remain the same. And it couldn't. And no, no school can today. No small yeah. college
1: can today. Nor should it. We're in a a different world. yeah. So um, I wanted to tie our discussion. We talked about it a little bit, but you've done some work on high quality connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm really interested in um, uh, whether you'd be like, I'm interested in you talking a little bit about any of your ideas or your thoughts related to fear and our need to be connected. Like uh, how that works generally, like how, both personally and professionally maybe, how can fear get in the way of high-quality connections? I think it is not uncommon for people when
2: they are afraid to fold into themselves, both um, physically and psychologically. Yeah. And that fear extends to being afraid to share uh, the fear. And I think that some of that is self-preservation, and a, and learn self preservation, and some of that is just not recognizing that it's more common, whatever you're afraid of it's not uncommon for other people to be afraid of it as well
0: mm-hmm.
2: so I think that's part of it from an individual level and then I think that um I think that people have once they express something, others will react to it in different ways. Not always positive, but if they're with somebody that where they trust them, then there is a certain level of humanity that they'll, they'll receive from another person. Even if it's not to say, I agree with you, mm-hmm. but even if it's to say, that must be really hard for you to feel that fear.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Uh
2: and and what can we do about that?
1: Can you imagine the difference if you're a you know there're big issues at professionally at work or something, if you were able to have conversations with colleagues or even your boss that were like that would be a much you could probably work it through yourself anyway, but it would just be helpful to have other people.
2: I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people do. Now, of course, if that's your only focus, is I'm focused on the fear. I'm fo- there's a certain point where, <laughs> with their help, or with other people's help outside of the organization, got to be able to 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 move on it, yeah, uh, and move into a place where you can be a, a, a contributor. Sometimes I wish that we would think of ourselves in both home and work as contributors rather than workers. Oh, I love that.
1: Tell me about that.
2: How what do you mean? Well, I think it's 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 language that the center uses and something that I I appreciate. I think if we think about where are we contributing? And I think of it in I I, I think now in terms of How can I contribute? And when I'm proud, I'm proud when I contribute. So going back to your very first question, I would say that something that I'm proud is, is if I can identify, where have I or where can I contribute? And that's, I guess, the making a difference. Yeah, yeah. And even if contributing is doing something very simple so somebody else doesn't, taking my dishes to the... (laughs) cafeteria window so somebody doesn't have to come out and pick them up and that sounds silly but you know you're contributing it's 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 contributing and i think if you think more in terms of
1: how can i contribute instead of how can i keep my job or how can i it's it's the it's almost like a growth and scarcity mindset yes exactly i spoke at an event earlier this year and talked about talked to uh, people within the higher education industry about change it was great because we learned that what what I had been experiencing in terms of change we are definitely not alone right um, there are all sorts of levels of change and everybody's experiencing it and they're experiencing it all the time and they're experiencing it more often um, but uh, I related to them something that I had heard recently um, in a in a retreat I had gone to that was uh, that was fabulous and the the person who was talking and he was talking about talking about change generally and he said if i could give you any advice it would be as you go through change as your leaders if you were to if i could give you advice it would be to always communicate this way respect the past be honest about the present and project hope for the future it was really powerful for everybody there going oh it gives me some language that might help me with this tug of war
2: well i think that th- you know that resonates f- uh, for me from the interviews that I did with people's best work experiences, where one of the categories that came up that was new was a positive spiral. And positive spiral actually comes from a term that's used in psychology called negative spiral. Mm. So if we think about fear being communicated from one person to another person to another person, and it's so it's, contagious. Yes, it's yeah. this spiral, and I'm moving my arms in a circular fashion. It's this <laughs> spiral that goes uh, that just takes a life, takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, in people's best work experiences there seemed to be this this kind of activity that was beyond just the individual. And so we called it Positive Spiral. Oh, that's so cool. And so it was this idea, and I think that this idea that hope for the future is where Positive Spiral can come in. It doesn't mean that you have to sit with every single person. It means that if you generate it, there's a sensibility, there's an emotional... Uh, lift. Yeah. Uh, that can be that. If there. people believe it, you know they have to believe and they have to trust. Yes. And the three they things work that, that this person mentioned of respecting the past, uh, of being truthful about the present, and of and of expressing hope for the future, I think all of those are trust generating. Yeah,
1: yeah I agree with you absolutely.
2: So. Interesting.
1: Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talked about, as you know, I am personally very passionate about the role of mentors in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have had any particular mentor in your life that was important to you and why, what lessons did you learn? What made that mentor be so important in your life? So it's interesting because
2: mentorship falls into the category of positive spiral. Oh lovely. And was in people's best work experiences, both being the mentor and the mentee. And many times somebody who's had a very good mentee experience makes a point of becoming a mentor.
1: What advice would you give to younger you about how to handle fear the fears that you knew that now you know came up? What you know what I mean? What if and I'm thinking that in terms of our listeners as well. Like, what kind of advice would you give them about about particularly professional fear? But I think that, but this fear exists in our lives. Don't be afraid to see things as they
2: are. I walk around with rose-colored glasses, and it's a really nice place to be in <laughs> general. But sometimes. My gut tells me something, but my rose-colored glasses tell me something else. Mm. So, don't be afraid to see for yourself. For, for yourself, when things aren't a good fit, or don't be afraid to speak up when something that you don't think should occur is occurring. And I don't. And again. I have spoken up when it's the big, big, big stuff. But even sometimes the medium or little stuff, speaking up when it's little might be helpful
1: because then it might not become so big. Yeah, that's great advice. So, And it's a great way to, to exercise the fear muscle and to also be true to yourself in some ways. 100%.
0: Thank you to Susan for her incredible insight. If you want to learn more about Susan and her work, connect with her on LinkedIn or find her publications on Google Scholar. Next week, I will be speaking to a longtime friend and mentor of my own, Jim Carter. Jim is a lawyer, a certified environmental planner, and a public administrator. Jim and I will be discussing vulnerability and how to practice it in your work and your personal life. Join us next week. As always, thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. You can find us at connectioncollaborative.com or send me an email at, analisa at connectioncollaborative.com Thank you and see you next week. 92,000 Hours Hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegall. Lexi Banks is our marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.